After I'm gone, your Earth will be free to live out its miserable span of existence as one of my satellites. And that's how it's going to be. Guess what? It's time to listen to Stomp Tokyo, the cult movies podcast, uh, with me, Chris Holland. And me, Scott Hamilton. And today we're going to follow up a little bit on our good friend, Albert Pune. Yes. Um, you know, it seemed a little, a, little, uh, a little against the spirit of it to talk about him so much, and I have not seen any Albert Pune movies recently, so I decided to watch uh, the movie Invasion. Uh, which came out in 2005, renamed from Infection, um, and what uh, makes puts uh, makes this movie special is that uh, Invasion is shot entire it is one unbroken shot uh, the entire movie more or less uh, shot from the dashboard cam of a police car um, and and. Uh, that's about all the movie is. Um, there's a little bit of a, a framing sequence at the beginning, at the end, and a rather insane number of, uh, of uh, title cards at the beginning explaining this alphabet soup of government organizations that are, that are involved in, in what's going on, allegedly. Um, but yeah, that's, 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 that's pretty much what makes Inva- Invasion special. Um, you know, it's a it's a really neat idea to you know to to just be following a police car going around a crisis. Um, what is perhaps to the detriment of the movie is that nothing particularly interesting happens. Um, you know, that's kind. I of, hate interesting stuff in my movies. I- exactly. Um, you know, it, it's it's a great gimmick, uh, and I must admit that like early on. It kind of surprised me. So the, it starts out following this cop who's driving around a park. Um, I think it's actually Malibu State Park. I think is where they said it was filmed. And um, you know the 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 radio is telling us that meteorites are falling, and apparently people are acting weird. And this professor said something happened, so he's going out to make sure the professor is okay. And uh, you know when he gets there, you know the the police officer gets out of the car and goes and checks on the on the professor who were you know we're seeing all this through the dash cam and uh, the professor attacks the police officer and infects him invasion of the body snatcher style um, apparently shoves something in his ear it looks like and so I was a little surprised that, okay, it's like, well, now we're going to be following the cop around as he gets back in his car, and he's going to take the infection somewhere else. And I was like, okay, that's kind of an interesting twist. That doesn't, doesn't stay that, it doesn't stay on that for too long. Um, the cop tries to infect these two teenagers who are out necking, apparently. Uh, and the woman, the... Uh, female high school student, you know, this is supposed to be prom night, I guess, uh, you know, takes the, uh, takes the, the cop car, ends up taking the cop car, and m- the rest of the movie is basically following her. Uh, and, uh, you know, quite frankly, she doesn't really do much. Um, she drives around, she runs away from a few more infected people that kind of shamble around like zombies, 
and then the movie just kind of ends. And I was a little surprised when it ended because, as it turns out, it's got 15 minutes of credits. So it ended up finishing about a good 10 minutes before I thought it was going to. So let me ask you this. Was the movie actually shot all in one shot, or did they cheat with with computer stuff? Oh, I'm fairly sure that that they cheated. Um, There there are some kind of odd things like where the... uh, I guess it's supposed to be some effect of the aliens where they uh, will, uh, the screen will suddenly go negative, you know, flash negative back and forth. And that seems like that would be a pretty good place to hide and edit. Um, You know, most of it is still very long takes. You know, it's probably all 10 minute takes in any case. But no, it's probably not all one take. And comparing this work to uh, Mr. Pune's, let's say, work of 1991. Uh, has he uh, improved as a filmmaker? Well, I mean, it's still got the, the same kind of problems that a lot of his movies have. The acting isn't very good. Um, in particular, the woman who's playing the the you know alleged high school student playing hooky from her prom is not very convincing as a high school student. <laughs> um, you know, she's obviously quite a bit older than that. Um, I mean, beyond that, it's so different from anything else that he's done that it's sort of hard to tell. But, you know, the kind of lack of good action or lack of having something really interesting happening is something that a lot of his movies had a problem with, even back in the 90s. Yeah, well, I noticed he didn't get called back for the new Captain America movie, so... <laughs> exactly, another one where Captain America doesn't even do anything in that whole stupid movie... <laughs> <laughs> well, do you remember that? That like the Captain Captain America in that movie, his his big move was that he would pretend to be sick, get out of the car, and when the other person got out of the car, he would then run back in and steal the car. That like he did that twice. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and that was like that was like that was Captain America's big move. So yeah. You know you you got to work with what works for you. You know. Yeah. If you have a signature move, don't be shy. <laughs> And if that signature move happened to to involve, you know, faked intestinal discomfort, well... You know, I think Captain America should be a little bit more exciting than that. Just saying. But yeah... So de- intestinal discomfort can be very exciting, Scott. <laughs> not not in the same way. Um, You're but, just being, you know, being closed-minded about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... I'll probably wait until the next Albert Pune movie comes out, the uh, the sequel to Sword and the Sorcerer, because I'm sure that that will have somewhat more cult interest. I know that that you know there's a lot of people who really like Sword and the Sorcerer, so you know we'll see if that's any more interesting. Yeah, I mean, I suppose going back to your your classic material, what two decades later? Um, yes, I believe that's pretty darn near his first movie. Maybe maybe there'll be uh, bookends to his career. Yes, bookends to his career. <laughs> so another movie that you and I both watched in the interim, uh, Limitless. Yes. When, when we were talking about uh, the perceived dearth of good sci-fi movies recently, you pointed out Limitless as a possibility. Uh, and I think it falls a little more into the realm of, um, you know, 
thriller rather than science fiction, but it does have science fiction elements for sure. Yeah, I would agree. It's a it's a thriller first. I mean, there's kind of a conspiracy element going on, that kind of stuff. Uh, Bradley Cooper uh, starts out the film as, uh, you know, a loser, or as close to a loser as Hollywood will ever let Bradley Cooper get. Yes. Uh, he's a washed-up writer, losing his girlfriend. And, yeah, his, his you know, good-looking girlfriend is ditching him. He's already been divorced once, and he runs into his former brother-in-law who offers him... A uh, what I guess was technically called a nootropic drug, basically that enhances your mental abilities. Yes. And he doesn't know what the drug is supposed to do at first, but he figures, well, what the hell, you know, this almost stranger handed me a pharmaceutical. I guess I'll just take it. Because how, how, you know, how much uh, worse could, you know, my life get at this point? Well, I mean, just, just so, but the, uh, the, if I'm remembering it correctly, the brother-in-law was used to be a wreck, but now he's looking pretty good, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there's some uh, some reason for you to sort of believe in the idea that um, this drug could be a good thing. You know, it, 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 and like with all of these things, it really doesn't matter that much. You really just need to keep moving forward and, and get to the plot. So he takes the drug. Turns out it does everything promised and more, and he knocks out the first 90 pages of his book, which he, up until this point, he's only written one word of in an afternoon and decides, well, crap, I got to get some more of this stuff. Um, and without giving too much away, um, the, the brother-in-law dealer character sort of falls away. Um, Cooper's character ends up with a, with a lot of the drug on, uh, you know, in, in his hands and does what every sudden super genius decides to do uh, which is get laid and get rich yes through day trading because apparently day trading isn't luck apparently if you're smart enough you can you can make what what does he make like three million dollars well he he borrows like a hundred thousand dollars from uh, from the mafia yeah from- which is kind of a stretch you know like like, I didn't have enough... I had quadrupled my money twice in three days, but I didn't have enough to really get started to make the big bucks. And I'm like, dude, yeah, if you're the smartest man in the world, you can figure out how exponential stuff works. Rather than borrowing $100,000 from the mafia, why don't you just wait four more days, and then you'll have the $100,000 that you're going to borrow from... You know, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. That was the one... One of the plot holes that I thought the film had, but whatever. You know, he has to have some some adversaries and some trouble to get into, or otherwise you don't have a movie. Yes. No, I... So he gets... His character gets deeper and deeper into it until, you know, suddenly he's running a very high-stakes game and, you know, is, is reliant on what may be a very dangerous drug in order not only to, to succeed, but also to survive. Yeah, he's fallen um, in with venture capitalists who are... I forget what exactly they were trying to broker a merger between two large companies right. that is going to make everybody rich, and he's he's you know balls deep in that. Right, and and you know the issue issue is who else out there knows about the drug might possibly be on the drug, and you know um, what what are the consequences of him having such what a large supply of it? What may be the only supply of it, and you know if it's as dangerous as it seems to be 
you know, what if it kills him rather than before he can succeed. So it's an interesting thriller. Um, lent some some weight by the presence of Robert De Niro, for sure. Yeah. And I, at the end, you know, I, I was pretty happy with it. You know, um, I, I'm definitely not going to go out and watch it again, I don't think. Yeah. It's not the kind of movie I think I need to see again. I thought I, the, en- I thought the pre- ending kind of punted, though. How so? Well, the, the ending... Or do you not want to give it away? Well, I don't know if, if it really matters. I mean, the movie's been out for a while now. But, you know, in, in the ending, he says... I don't now, you may have seen it more recently than I did. I mean, it was a matter of weeks. But doesn't he basically become smart without using the drug? Well, that's what he tells one of the other characters. Yes. He tells one of the other characters that he's no longer reliant on the drug to be super smart. Yes. That somehow the chemicals have changed his brain permanently. Um, whether that's the truth or not is sort of up to your, your own imagination and interpretation. I guess. It's certainly the sort of thing I would say if I wanted to convince someone that I didn't need the drug in order to, to maintain my advantage. Yes. I suppose. I guess you could read it either way. Um, it still seemed like a little bit of a, I don't know, you know, kind of the... It's the, a tidy way to wrap it up, right? Yeah, that usually the, the, the arc of a drug addiction movie is you get addicted, you hit rock bottom, and, or you, and then you either get off it or it kills you. And basically, this kind of went for neither option where he kind of stays on it, but it doesn't kill him. Or if any, if if it, he's not on it, then it made him a better person, <laughs> which you know is not the usual, you know, drug addiction kind of storyline. No, but it's more interesting. I mean, if you see if you're seeing the usual kind of storyline, it's a movie you've seen before, and therefore, why do you need to see it again? Um, I guess right? so. It, it just kind of made it just kind of made it seem like uh, there was no moral dimension to to using this drug. Who was having his cake and eating it, too. Exactly. I mean, especially after some of the stuff that he does to keep on the drug, you know, vis-a-vis the Russian mobsters and a uh, slight outbreak of mass murder that that happens in his apartment. Um, <laughs> you know, he really kind of got away with a lot there. Um, it, yeah, it is, It is in, in a lot of ways, a wish fulfillment movie, yeah. for sure. I mean, from that perspective, I, I can see it. I mean, I guess yeah. uh, now... Uh, okay, full disclosure, I actually fell asleep in the middle of the movie. <laughs> so wow. I, yeah, um, I, I missed the bit with Anna Ferris. Anna Ferris, is that her name? No, Anna Friel. Uh, there, okay, yeah, there is an Anna Ferris, but I don't think that's what you were talking I would have noticed if Anna Ferris had showed up. No, no, it, it's, it's Anna Friel, the one who's in, who was in uh, 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 Lost World, not The Lost World. Uh, Land of the Lost and and Pushing Daisies, uh, and she's his ex-wife, and she was also yes. on the drug, but sh- but she didn't have the happy ending, like she went no, no. Um, there was there was some implication that um the side effects of the drug were mainly composed by overindulging in other unhealthy activities while you were on it. You know, getting dehydrated, not eating enough, 
um, not getting any sleep and and overindulging in alcohol. Where where you know like there's there's a very clear passage in there and says where you know when I started doing these things, I I stopped losing time. Gotcha. Um, so you know. There, there definitely were some some ramifications to the mindset that this drug put you in, particularly in that made you feel invulnerable and therefore you felt free to, you know, ignore, you know, the need to stay hydrated and whatever. So it, it sort of went there, but it definitely pulled this guy back from from that. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I think I have a better handle on, on what it was, yeah. what the movie was trying to do there. Yeah, whether that made it a better movie or not is is sort of your own your own thing. Um, I don't think it's particularly right for a sequel because you know if you know this guy is smarter than everybody else and basically invincible, you know it doesn't it, it's not quite as interesting. Yeah, it's not not really a movie. Yeah, they, they, well, he can never be placed in any jeopardy because he's fifty steps ahead of everyone. Yeah, I mean, did they? I mean, at the end. I mean, I guess the the only sequel to the movie that I can see is that the drug comes onto the market, and now everybody can be smart, right? Um, which might be which might be interesting, but yeah, I mean, uh, at the end of the movie, what was the status of the drug company? I mean, they were talking about buying it, right? Uh, well, um, De Niro's character had purchased the company that that made yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, if you haven't seen this movie, this is really, (laughs) these are super spoilers. Um, So he was blackmailing Cooper's character and saying, you know, if you don't fall in line with us, we're going to cut off your access to the drug. And, oh, by the way, we've already taken out your lab where you were secretly trying to manufacture more. Yeah. Um, I don't know. the, The ending definitely has some logistical problems. Um, but if you sort of go along for the ride and, and accept at face value that, you know, these problems can be explained away, then it, it has kind of an open ending. And I definitely like the idea that, you know, you don't really know whether he successfully got off the drug or not. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I, I, I like these kinds of brain enhancement movies, um, from the standpoint that, it forces the writer to really think about what an actually smart person would do. Yeah. You know, I mean, you really, really have to make sure that if you're going to do it well, that your, um, your character with the amazing powers of deduction, see Sherlock, or, um, you know, super enhanced brain function, see Lawnmower Man, you know, you, you've got to make sure your ducks are in a row and, and that they're actually doing unexpectedly smart things. Yeah. I don't know. There are quite a few movies that's not really kind of how it happens. Or, like in the case of Lawnmower Man, it seemed like he had some some weird blind spots in his intelligence. Right. Well, Lawnmower Man is, is the science fiction version, or the even more science fiction-y version of Flowers for Algernon. Yes. Right? Yes, okay. with, with more computer Where, effects. Right. Retarded guy, and forgive me for calling him retarded if that offends you, but um, when the mo- mentally disabled guy... <laughs> when the movie was made, they would call him retarded, so... Right. Uh, 
is is it virtual reality that turns him into a genius? I think it is. I yeah, it's some like sort of... some virtual reality thingy, purple background. Right. right. It's it's a it's a visual. But, but I guess um, when Tetris was big, they called it pharmatronics. Pharmatronics. But uh, you know, yeah, that's literally because they discovered that playing Tetris actually changed the way your brain manufactured chemicals. Uh-huh. You know, that because you were... Jeez, uh, it's been so long I don't really remember, quite honestly. You remember you remember Jeff Fahey. I do remember Jeff Fahey, but he was the one... He was Joe, right? He was... He was the guy. Yes, yes. And then, um, wasn't Max Headroom in that? No. No. No? No, the... the Are you sure? Yeah, the doctor was played by Pierce Brosnan. Okay, you're right. Yes, yes. I just wished Max Hedrum had been in that. Yeah, no, no, no. Max Hedrum, because he, he looked very much like Max Hedrum when he was when he was in the virtual world. Um, and yeah, so he's like, I I don't remember. Was he able to control machines in that one? Was that another one of those? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Wired magazine, nineteen ninety four. Um. Uh, they definitely reference the idea of Tetris being a kind of electronic drug, a pharmatronic. Um, and they go to the University of California's uh, at Irvine's Department of Psychiatry and Human Behavior, and um, in 1991, this behaviorist scanned the brains of Tetris players. Um, in first-time users, Tetris significantly raises cerebral glucose metabolic rates, meaning brain energy consumption soars. After four to eight weeks of daily doses, GMRs sink to normal, while performance increases sevenfold. Mm-hmm. So Tetris trains your brain to stop using inefficient gray matter, uh, perhaps a key cognitive strategy for learning. Huh, interesting. I, I see, yeah, right? So, I mean, so not totally out of nowhere does this concept of electronic input rewiring your brain come. Yeah. Um, according to this, uh, they also did use drugs in Lawnmower Man as well. Um, so, well, of course, they used drugs. Yeah, so it, it was <laughs> drugs and virtual reality and direct stimulation of the brain. It looks like that's right. what they were using. Okay. So, uh, retarded Jeff Fahey turns into super genius and basically, yeah, becomes in kind of a matrixy way. You know, becomes uh, part of the projects himself into cyberspace, as I recall, right? Yes. Like, Brain leaves his body, and he becomes Skynet, or whatever. Yes. Like, he's gonna um, he's gonna take over all the computer networks simultaneously in the world. And send a Terminator back in time <laughs> to kill Pierce Brosnan's mother. Oh, no. I don't think they're gonna do that. But, um... You know, but probably send a lawnmower. Even the Terminators love Pierce Brosnan, right? (laughs) A lawnmower. (laughs) Anyway, so I I don't know. I forgot the point we were trying to make with Lawnmower Man, but because we've gotten there by way of Tetris and Pharmatronics (laughs) and whatever else. Um, Well, I mean, you know, one 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 kind of theme that these movies have is that. 
becoming super intelligent also makes you unstable. Um, yes. Well, that's a very Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing, right? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I don't know if there he was trying to make himself better. He was just trying to make himself... I don't know. He was trying to find his his more primal instincts. But it does... I don't know. Which would be the first movie where they kind of do this... If you make yourself smarter, you make yourself crazy kind of thing. I'm not sure. I mean, it's definitely... Oh, the, a, the, the, the big references I was able to come up with were Lawnmower Man, Flowers for... Or Charlie, it was called. Yeah. Um, the 60s or 70s version. Um, and to, to a lesser extent, The Matrix. Where The Matrix is, you know... Basically, they can jack your brain into this thing and, and download instructions on how to be, you know, fluent in Chinese or uh, in Kung Fu or whatever. Yeah. Um, that had less to do with increasing brain function and more to do with speed learning, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, Flowers from Aldron also kind of has the, the idea that he gets super smart and then he, his brain starts to decay and he starts to get... You know, stupider again. Um, though he doesn't really notice it until it's pretty far along, which which is kind of kind of goes par for the course with these kinds of movies, where they don't really notice they don't really notice the change after they become smart, which is interesting. Right, and, and I think that also goes back to your drug addiction movie kind of theme, where. Any film in which someone attains powers or abilities or whatever that they haven't earned, yeah, you know, it, it eventually destroys them. Whether that's, you know, uh, Jurassic Park, where they've created, you know, where they've stood on the shoulders of giants, as Jeff Goldblum put it, and, you know, created these dinosaurs from DNA, or, um, I don't know. Captain America is a bad example, yeah, uh, but but any mad scientist movie, anything from Frankenstein to you know um, the you know, just all those mad scientist movies. I mean, and there and you know, and there was a real world. There was a real world analog to that. That in the 1920s, going into the 30s, you'll see it in some of those early mad scientist movies. They thought that if they implanted glands into people, they would become more intelligent. So they would try to, you know, implant monkey glands into people. Um, you know, obviously it never really worked, so it didn't really become an issue. But there are some movies about uh, about glands making people crazy. I can't remember like which one I was which one I was thinking of, but there are some. So I should ask my doctor about having this monkey pituitary gland removed. <laughs> yes, yes, you should. I mean, it's. I've been meaning to have that looked at. I, I need to. F I wish I could figure out what, if I can remember what movie that was that I was watching. But yeah, it's like today you're looking at the idea that you're like, really, you're going to implant glands into yourself? Does that really seem like a good idea? But uh, um, there was actually a uh, a quack business in the 1920s that was quite large in uh, implanting glands into people: goat glands for virility and monkey glands for pretty much everything else. Goat glands? Um, goat glands, because goats are virile animals. So they would implant 
uh, this this guy would uh, uh, implant goat glands into your uh, into your uh, testicles. Not my testicles, dude. <laughs> <laughs> they were, they they would they would do it. Um, there was a really Look, good book about that. I don't have any room that. because of the monkey pituitary gland that's done. <laughs> yes, his, his name was uh, John R. Brinkley, um, and there was a really good book I recently read about him. Um, well, recently, a few years ago now, but uh, uh, what was the name of the book? Charlatan, America's Most Dangerous Huckster, The Man Who Pursued Him in the Age of Flim Flam. And so the thing about uh, about Brinkley was that while he was, you know, doing all this transplantation of goat glands into people, he was getting into trouble with the law as he was going along. I think he was, like, in Kansas. But, you know, eventually he figured out he was going to have to get the hell out of Dodge, so he moved to Mexico, uh, just across the border. And basically to kind of keep his his business going he built huge radio stations just you know just past the mexican border and these were the border blasters you know they were not governed by u.s law so they could so they could uh you know put out as as strong a signal as he wanted and you know there were stories that you could hear these mexican you know border blasters in in alaska and in denmark if, if the if the if the uh, circumstances were exactly right, if the weather was exactly right, um, and this is kind of where uh, you know radio networks came from, because this this guy uh, uh, started doing you know started the whole idea of the border blaster that could reach everybody in America and sell quack quack medicine, of course. Border Blasters would make a great name for a band. It would be. It would be a pretty awesome. I'm sure there's some band out there named Border Blasters, though. Because even in... I remember growing up, I remember hearing the term Border Blasters. Um, that, you know, that it was... Uh, whatever station. It was like... There was a local station. I, I can't... You know, and it was on... You know, the, the reason why these station, You know, in the in America, the radio stations are limited to, to how many watts they can put out. So that, you know, you don't have two stations, you know, in two different states on the same frequency or frequencies that are close enough. Well, the border blasters weren't taking that, you know, weren't, weren't caring about that. So there was a local station in Connecticut that every now and then, if the clouds were exactly right, would suddenly turn into a Mexican station because the border blaster was, was, was overriding it. Okay. If you want to hear the Border Blasters, they are available on myspace.com slash Border Blasters. <laughs> I guess that's the place to look. Yeah. Anyway, they also have uh, a CD available on CD Baby. Oh, that's good. And you can you can get a link to that in the show notes, uh, which you'll find at cultmoviespodcast.com. This is episode 10. Yes. Um, and I think... Maybe next time um, we'll try and come up with a few more brain-enhancing movies. See if we can think of a few. Sure. And if you know of any, uh, shoot us a note. Uh, there's a, a contact link on the website, I think. And if not, um, my meowing cat will be happy to take your email. Uh, can you hear the cat? Yes, I can hear the cat. Yeah, okay. Well, good. I'm glad. This is a three-way conversation rather than just the two of us. <laughs> You mentioned Sherlock earlier. Have we ever mentioned Whitechapel? 
Um, no, I don't think so. You ever you, you seen that? I believe they showed it on BBC America eventually. Um, I have not. Yeah, really good TV show. Um, the the it was you know it's British, so like the first season was only three episodes, and it was basically just one story about somebody in Whitechapel today copycatting the Jack the Ripper murders. Um, it was a really good. It was a really good. Uh, it was a really good series. Um, since then, they've done three more episodes, and now, right, like as we speak, uh, there's a, a third season is now airing in in Britain, uh, and that'll probably come over to the U.S. probably later this year. But uh, yeah, look, look out for that because it's a it's a pretty snazzy little mystery. I know that. Just to sort of wrap this up a little bit, um, we talked about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yes. Um, and it's been so long since I've seen any version of that other than Jekyll. Yeah. Um, that I've forgotten whether enhanced intelligence was part of the initial effects of the drug. I mean, I know increased aggressiveness and whatever, but clearly the the Jekyll version of... Um, or the Hyde, rather, version of, of Dr. Jekyll in the more recent British Jekyll series was hyper-intelligent. Yes. Uh, but no, that's not the way it usually is. I mean, I think in the novel they imply that, that Jekyll is, is stupider. Um, but we don't, see, mm. we don't see too much of Jekyll, quite frankly. Um, Jekyll is largely off, you know, off stage. Off-screen. Um, yeah, off-screen. Yeah. It's a novel. Mo- yeah, most off page. Off page. Most most movie versions of it um, either make him as intelligent as Jekyll or less intelligent than Jekyll. I think there are very few where they they make him actually smarter. I mean, I thought that that the uh, the Jekyll version of it was was pretty compelling because you know he was more everything that that that. Uh, that Dr. Jekyll was, or whatever they called. What did he call him in, in that one again? He, he was last name wasn't Jekyll; it was something else. Do you remember? No, I, I actually it's been probably two years since I've seen that series. Yeah. So. But yeah, the the Mister Hyde version of, of of him was much more intelligent, much more you know, just much more everything, much sexier, much stronger. Um, that's also not something that's in the original novel. In the in the novel, the Hyde version of is Mr. Hyde is actually smaller than Doctor Jekyll, um, which I guess is in kind of keeping with the the evil. You know, he's small and twisted as opposed to a a proper tall English gentleman. Is that about it for this week? Yeah, I think that's uh, that'll just about do us. I'll tie that one in a bow. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as Stomp Tokyo, and Scott is there at Scopi, S-C-O-P-I. Cult Movies Podcast is the site, cultmoviespodcast.com, rather. And we would like to thank you for listening, because without you, we would just be two guys talking to each other, and <laughs> nobody wants that. Bye. Bye.